Welcome into the Wednesday Bible Study from the Rick and Bubba Studio. Thank you for being with us uh, today. Uh, if you are new to the Bible Study, what we are doing, you have found us in part 12 uh, of a series. If, uh, if this is your first time, uh, then you can go back and uh, go through the rest of the study if you would like uh, by going to BurgessMinistries.com. You'll see the media button there. Click that. And then you'll see a few things from Sherry and from me on events we've done. But if you go down and find the Wednesday Bible Study, uh, you can click on that and you can access the last four years worth of Bible studies, which you can pick up this series, which is called The Pursuit of Holiness. We're coming out of a book from Jerry, the late Jerry Bridges. And, and what this... Um, this study has the audacity to do is to actually suggest that the power of the resurrection, if it truly has justified your spirit and it was able to raise Jesus from the dead, it can likely raise us from the dead. Meaning that we do not spend the rest of our lives in perpetual sin if we truly experience the power of the resurrection. And we're not talking about stumbles. We're not talking about mistakes. We're just talking about, if you think about it, I guess a good example would be where you go to First uh, uh, John chapter 3. And John says, no one, not some people, no one who has ever truly encountered Jesus continues to sin. They, they don't live a life of perpetual sin. John goes on in chapter 3 of saying, if you want to try to figure out who's with Jesus and who still belongs to the devil because the devil's been sinning from the beginning, it says what? Just look at how they live. If they're still living a, a life of perpetual sin, they belong to the devil. If they're living a life that looks like they've actually been transformed by Jesus, and they probably belong to Jesus, because this study says if you and I have not been changed by the power of Jesus Christ, it is not because of his inability to change us. It's because something's wrong between us and Jesus. So last week... Uh, how many of you, raise your hand if you're glad last week's lesson is over. Uh, last week we, we took on holiness, holiness in the body. Uh, this was a thing that Rick Burgess had swept under the rug for far too long. And frankly, the Western church uh, sweeps under the rug as if gluttony and, and, and uh, overindulgence in, in, uh, in food uh, and overindulgence in anything is no big deal. It's these other sins that really matter. Uh, and the Bible said, no, uh, if, if it's considered sin by the Bible, sin always matters. So today uh, we pivot into the pursuit of holiness chapter 12. Uh, last week was holiness in the body. This week is holiness in spirit. Uh, our verse that we'll get started with uh, comes out of 2 Corinthians. And if you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, uh, I didn't write down what part of Corinthians it's from, even though I just sent that to Jalen Fruithurst. So I'll see. Uh, it is actually from 2 Corinthians 7, 1. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Jot that down if you don't have uh, uh, your Bible with you. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, uh, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Let's open up in prayer. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge. Thank you for inspiring this study. Thank you, Lord, for, for giving us access uh, to, to the power that you, of course, provide uh, for us to be completely transformed, completely dead to self, victory over our flesh uh, as you on the cross. And when you walked out of the tomb, you freed us from the reign of sin. That sin would no longer uh, hold us as our, 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 our master that you have freed us from, but you have not freed us just only from sin. You certainly haven't freed us to sin. 
And I pray, Lord, that we never justify sin in our lives out of reverence to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So he starts out talking about this. So Paul saying to the church at Corinth, he says, you need to look at your life and purify yourself from everything that contaminates your body. He talked about that last week, but he says also your spirit perfecting. Here's that word that nobody wants, but it's all throughout the Bible. Holiness out of reverence for God. So meaning we have such reverence for God that we now that he resides in our spirit since we've been justified, what? We, gotta, we, we're, we start looking at what we expose God to out of reverence to him. And then he uses this example because now we're taking on our thought life this week. We're taking on the things that are inside that nobody sees, you know, who we really are. And so what he said, he used the example that he was at a conference. He said, right now, if I could take this screen behind me and I could project your thoughts onto the screen right now, how many of you would need to leave town? <laughs> if, if I could take what you're really thinking and every time you thought something, it'd pop up on that screen, how many of you would feel good about that? Well, it's very convicting, and, and this is what uh, the Bible says. Our thoughts are just as important to God as our actions and are known to God as clearly as our actions. If you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, if you don't believe that, let's look at the psalmist here in Psalms 139, verses 1 through 4. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. And here comes verse 2. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. Verse 3, you search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you knew it altogether. So you knew everything I was thinking and you always do. So whether it gets to my tongue or not, you already know it. So he uses this example of how we see something. Now, I'm going to put a little twist on this example that I got a chance to speak in Pontotoc, Mississippi last weekend to, to a men's event on Saturday night. And, you know, that's, what, that's why we've been promoting this, this system of discipling men. You got to have these moments like we have in here. Now, certainly there's women that listen to this and watch it around the country, and you're always welcome. But these services that we, that we have as part of our discipling men game plan, there's got to be some time where men get in, in a room and they hash it out. Because you're never going to convict or disciple a man if you speak to him like he's a woman or a child. Now, you, you take any man in here, if anybody's helped you in your life, it's because they talk to you like a man. They talk to you like a male. They didn't talk to you like you were a woman or you were a child. If they did, you didn't pay attention to them. My wife will say this, and, and, and my wife is as strong a woman as anybody will ever encounter, but she says, I can tell once the males in our house reached a certain age that I could say something and it got a response, but when you said it, it was a completely different response. And you said the same thing I did. But it came from the tone of another male and their, the, the father as opposed to it coming from the mother. She said, I have said things that really should have just absolutely. She goes, I, you know, I've come up. I know the Bible. She knows the Bible as good as anybody. She says, but there's something about a male saying it to our sons that the mom can never say. And if you don't believe that, just look on death row. 94% of the men on death row have no relationship with their father, or they don't know their father, or they hate their father, and every one of them just about has a mama who loves them. And mama, you know, what was the great country song? Mama tried. 
Mama tried. And, and, and mamas are wonderful and mamas can't be replaced. And there's a maternal uh, connection. And my mama helped me. My mama's one of the people who talked to me when I was uh, wayward in my life and said, I'm concerned about your salvation. I'm, I'm concerned about this. I will always love you, but I don't always approve of you. And until you get out from under this life you're living, you don't have my approval. And that meant a lot to me. But my mother could never be my father. And my father, frankly, could never be my mother. So, so this, this, this men and women equal but not the same is something we must come back to. So here's the thing I want to talk to, uh, talking about um, when Samuel went to crown the king at Jesse's house with his sons. Now, if you know the story, uh, Samuel goes to, to, to talk to Jesse about his sons. Well, Jesse doesn't even get David because he knows it's not him. I mean, he's the youngest. He's out there with the sheep. We're not, so he brings out Eliab. And Eliab undoubtedly was a hoss. And this is in 1 Samuel 16, 7, if you want to write that down. 1 Samuel 16, 7. So, so when, when Samuel sees Eliab, like Jesse said, if you're coming to crown one of my son's kings, it's Eliab. Somebody go get the impressive Eliab. He must have been a hoss. Because the minute he walked in the room, Samuel said, whoa. Samuel said, this must be the guy. But then God said, that's not him. Because God had to correct Samuel, and he says, Do not look at his appearance or on the height of his statue. So he must have been a horse. He said, Because I have rejected him, for the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks to the heart. And Eliab may look good, but he ain't the guy. So that's good and bad for this room. Okay? Here's the bad. I, always, I like to have the bad first. Raise your hand if you like to have the bad first. What kind of situation are we in here? Here's the bad. Some of us look like a hoss, but you're not. Because God looks inside you and says, you may look great on the outside, but you're not a hoss for the kingdom. As a matter of fact, you're, you, you've done nothing for the kingdom. I said this to the men in Pontotoc, Mississippi last week, and it really resonated. It was kind of a new angle on our worship of sports. And not every man worships sports, but most do. And instead of using what I think they've heard enough, uh, is that, you know, this is talking about football, because, you know, it's another SEC town. And, and, I, and, you know, and this is a great statement that I heard once, and it convicted me to the core. Football's a great game. It's just a lousy God. And so, and so what I took on was this, though. I said, raise your hand if you would want your coach fired if he had had consecutive seasons of winning no more than two ball games. One to two games for several seasons. I said, raise your hand if it needs to be fired. Every one of them raised their hand. I said, should Jesus fire you? I mean, based on your production for the kingdom, not about earning salvation, but as a response to your salvation, when Jesus said, now go and do this, do that, do this, this, this is what, this is what I expect in response to the grace and mercy I've shown you, I expect you to be a transformed man and have impact for the kingdom and make disciples based on Jesus' standard as you and me as claims to be followers of His by the same standard that we hold everything in the world to as men. It's got to be excellent or they need to be fired. Should Jesus fire you? Should Jesus fire me? What's our production? Isn't it odd that we demand excellence out of everything except our spiritual life? We want being mediocre spiritually. Ah, oh, it's fine, and, and that's the only thing that's going to matter when this thing is over. Either when you die, or when this earth is over. 
The only thing that's going to have any standing is the things that we did that were eternal. And I'm going to ask you a question as I ask me, are you mediocre in that area? Well, the Bible says we shouldn't be. And, and so God's looking at the heart and he says, Eliab looks good. But here's the, here, now let's go to the good news. So bad news is some of us look good, but we're not. But here's the good news. Some of us by the world standard don't look like much at all, but God sees us as a hoss. This, this is my guy. Who, this guy? Oh yeah, the world doesn't think much of him by their standard, but he's so devoted to me, he's a hoss. And you know, I get down to this, if you want to know what it is to be a man, follow Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're a man, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you know what you are? An obstacle, a hassle, a problem that everybody has to overcome. Everybody's having to work around you if you're not a follower of Jesus and they're having to try to find a way to go ahead and, and, and have their life do something. But instead of you being an asset to all those you're influence, influence over, now you're, now you're a problem. You're an obstacle. If you don't believe that, just, just randomly, as some of you in here that are dads or watching that you're a dad, just randomly, if you want your heart to be broken, the next time a male is waiting on you or a woman is waiting on you, ask them about their father. Hey, man, good to see you. Hey, tell me about your dad. Here's what you'll see. And I read a book that said the same thing, and I've been watching it since I read I wish I could think of the name of the book, but it was a profound statement. And the guy wrote the book. He said, first of all, you'll get the people that just don't want to talk about it. And then there'll be the ones, he said, that's even more sad. You can tell they're covering for their dad, and they're making him out to be better than he really is. It's, it's, it, they're almost wanting to cover for him. And then, she, and then they said, and then the smaller group, those that have a, a wonderful father that they're really proud of and that has been a positive influence in their life. And see, that, that's, that's the deal. See, we can't remove our influence. Can't help it. So we're either a problem, an obstacle, or we're a blessing and an asset. And you say, well, which one am I, Rick? If you're a follower of Jesus, you're an asset. If you're not, you're an obstacle. Your problem. And, and so, so the question is, look at our lives spiritually on the inside, who we really are. As Jack Nicholson said, that the, 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 the things inside of us that people don't talk about at parties, the real stuff when it's quiet and just miles are rolling by and we're kind of scanning and our minds thinking who we really are. Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount that God's commands are intended not only to regulate our outward conduct, but our inner disposition as well. Jesus said, the way my Father sees you has a lot more to do with what you do outwardly. These commands are for that. Do, you know, he said that, and this is the reason why I love the next part. Paul in Colossians 2.23, jot that down, Colossians 2.23, Paul warns that we can curb appetites of our outward body, but leave our thoughts unrestrained. So we go last week, we go, my goodness, Rick, is this guy ever let up? I tried to get my outward stuff straight up. Now you're telling me I can get my outward stuff straightened up, man. We'll still be out of control? Yes. You know what all this is about? You can't do it without Jesus. That's why it can't be legalism. That's why it can't be a code of conduct. It's got to be a transformation out of devotion to the source, Jesus Christ. Devotion to the source, the Holy Spirit. His presence. Think about it. Jesus said when he was going to his father after the resurrection, nobody panic. It's good that I go. Why? You're about to get the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, game changer. Stop holding yourself to the standard of the disciples before the Holy Spirit. See, that's once again, we don't want to be excellent. I thought you wanted to be excellent. I do want to be excellent. 
I expect my team to be excellent, my work to be excellent, my family to be excellent, my kids to be excellent, my wife to be excellent. So who do you want to be compared to? The disciples before or after Pentecost? Oh, before. They made a lot of mistakes before. You know, we all, we never quite work it out. Yeah, they didn't after the Pentecost. And see, I've told y'all before, we're on the other side. That's where we are. Our standard are the disciples in the church of Acts own. Not before. Because we now have access to Pentecost. And that was a game changer. I love in Acts chapter 4, these same guys have been running. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't, hey, you were with Jesus. No, I wasn't. No, I wasn't. John running out of his clothes. I got to go. They're coming after Jesus. Peter tries to cut a guy and he misses, cuts his ear off. And Jesus says, we're not going to do that. What? I'm out. We're going? They're going to kill you. We're out. But after Acts chapter 2, then we get to Acts chapter 4, they heal the crippled man. Who did this? Hey, Jesus Christ did the one you crucified. The, the cornerstone, you rejected him. If you want to know who did this today, it was, by, it was Jesus Christ, the man you crucified. So, and then I love this. And then nobody could deny and they begin to recognize that they were with Jesus. No more trying to deny would be with Jesus. I want the whole world to know I'm with Jesus. And even when the persecutor said, well, you know we're going to kill you if you don't stop talking about Jesus. Same people that ran before Pentecost, you know what they said? Bring it. We can't help but talk about Jesus. And when they went back to the church and said, hey, they're after us again, you know what they prayed for? Boldness. They never prayed for the persecution to stop. Because they said persecution means they're now like Jesus. And they celebrated it. You know all they prayed for? And I hope every man in this room and everybody watching has the, has the courage to pray this. Lord, when persecution comes after me, when horrible things happen because of my devotion to you in this fallen creation, please give me boldness that I don't embarrass you. That's what they prayed. I don't want to embarrass Jesus anymore. What about you? Can somebody say, if I brought your name up, hey, you know what? Let's say, uh, just any name in the room, put this name in. Hey, tell me about so-and-so. Uh, what do you mean? Do you recognize that he's with Jesus? What would the answer be? Absolutely. Or would it be, what? Where was he? Well, he's at my Bible study. Really? <laughs> Shocking. I didn't see that coming. Well, you know he says he's with Jesus. Eh. Not based on what I see. So would they recognize immediately, oh yeah, that's a follower of Jesus. Well, see, the same guys that ran from Jesus now are saying, we identify with Jesus. Come what may. And you know what? <laughs> they did kill him, eventually. Now, John went on. We don't know what happened to John. He went out and got the revelation. And, you know, when Jesus said, what, what is your business if I let him live until I come back? I'm always real nice to old men because you never know. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Jesus didn't clarify what was going on. They tried to boil him a couple times, tried to do all kinds of things. They couldn't kill him. You know what I mean? Frustrated a lot of the rulers because the others they were able to kill, they couldn't kill John. And he goes out, you know, he finally gets exiled, and that's where we get the revelation. But we don't know anything after that. I assume he eventually died, but always be nice to elderly people. You don't know. John may still be around. Uh, so, but all the rest were martyred. We know that. Uh, so anyway, so the Bible indicates that our thought lives ultimately determine our character. Now this, this got a little more controversial than I expected. Uh, I was just going to simply give you Proverbs 23, 7 until I started studying that this, 
you know, a lot of times we look at the different English interpretations, they don't vary a whole lot. This one varied quite a bit. Uh, one interpretation says, for as he thinks within himself, so he is. The English Standard Version, which I usually use to study because it's not as beautiful, but it's a lot more literal, it really says something like what someone is thinking is actually the truth. It says, be cautious of those who are inwardly calculating. That's a, that's a little deeper, inwardly calculate. Be careful of these people that are putting on an act. You ever, you ever been around those people that calculate everything? There's no honesty. There's no truth. I'm always calculating. Eh, what should my response be? What would benefit me right now? You ever been around that guy? You know, you know hey, hey, man, just shoot me straight. What do you mean by shoot me straight? And they're trying to calculate what you want to hear or what would benefit them in this particular situation. The Bible says watch out for those people now. So, so let me ask you this. So for us, do we, are we that person that Proverbs warns about? Now, if I want to see you acting right, I'll see you where? At church, in this Bible study. But if I see you somewhere else, I don't, I don't see the same presentation. The chameleons of the world. I just kind of turn into whatever I'm around. You know, when are you spiritual? When I'm around spiritual people. And, say, and then, then they'll say something like, well, you know, Paul said to be all things to all people. No, he never said to be a sinner. He said that you relate to all people so that you have a chance to, you know, one of the main reasons, I was just asked about this at lunch prior to this, he said, have y'all outgrown the studio? I said, we're close, but God seems to always keep us right there. Right when we need to move it, people fade away. He weeds some people out. And I said, the reason why I think that is because I think that men are more comfortable coming here than if I said, let's meet over to church. And that's all right. I mean, because at one point the church will be comfortable to you. But if this is a place where we can get together and just feel like we're a little bit more, you know, it's not, it's not as, it's a little more casual. It's, it, we're out here. We're in the middle of everything going on. And I said, this seems to be working until God tells me to go somewhere else. This is where we're going to be. But, but that's not the same of saying, oh, we're at the Rick and Bubba studio. So we'll talk about the Bible some. But mainly I'm going to come in and entertain you. Anybody been coming here four years think we're coming here to be entertained? It don't happen. So I'm not changing just because we're in a different situation because it's still I want you to see this is what really, really matters. And then there's, there's, if you want to think about our thought life, I found Stephen Covey and the Seven Hab Habits of Highly Effective People, Ralph Waldo, em Waldo Emerson, and even Alistair Begg, all are credited with this next thing. So I don't know who, who really did it, but it still works. I would trust out of all those, Alistair Begg above any of those people. You talk about a fantastic preacher. If you've never heard of Alistair Begg, jot it down. I need to be listening to sermons from Alistair Begg. He's hoss. So anyway, and plus the Scottish accent just makes it better. But he says this, Sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap character. Sow character and reap a destiny. So that, that's kind of the, the, the process. Sow a thought. That will reap an act. So what we think ends up being an act at some point. And then if you sow an act, then that'll turn into your habits. And then if you sow that habit, that'll turn into your character. And once your character gets in line, you know what? Then you're ready for your destiny. Does that make sense? And if y'all need that again, y'all come take pictures of it up here. But it was in, in the book if you have the book. So this is the one, and, and I'm going to make this commitment to you. I could even see doodlings I've got on my piece of paper from Saturday because I'm not real good at memorizing things. But I think Philippians 4.8, we should memorize. We should memorize this list because it will serve us well on trying to keep our thoughts under the authority of Christ because Paul undoubtedly knew that was going to be an issue. In Philippians 4.8, he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true... 
whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Don't let other things get in your mind. You know, and I said, man, if I could, if I could memorize this list, and I've, I've tried something up here. Do you ever tried to do an acronym and it won't spell anything? <laughs> I took all those things and I'm like, T-H-J-P-L-C-E, that spells nothing. I, 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 but so I guess I'm just going to have to memorize it straight up. But let's say you're in a situation and you're like, I don't really know that I should be exposing myself to this. Well, then you go, all right, according to Paul, is it just? Is this something that seems to be truth? Is, 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 is it true? Is, is this something that doesn't compromise the truth? Is it something that I think is, is justice? It's right? Is, is it honorable? Is it, is this, does this feel like it's an honorable thing? Uh, is it pure? Well, well, there goes a lot of it, doesn't it? But we're, now we got, we're exiting a lot of things now. Too. I've just come to the conclusion. I appreciate you trying to get me to watch some of these shows on Netflix. I can't watch any of them. <laughs> you know, it never fails. I'm like, oh, because I, I love like period pieces like medieval stuff and all these royals. And there's so many shows out there about them. But undoubtedly, these people have sex all the time. <laughs> uh, I mean, somebody's always got something going on. I'm like, is, it, can we, is this the only storyline with these people? And so, so, so I have to say, is it pure? Uh, is, is it lovely? Is it, is it commendable? Is this something that I think, man, that's, this is really good. This is a, this has got a good message. It's a good thing. Is it excellent? So look at the man in here. Oh yeah, we love excellence, except in our spiritual life. All right. So is, is it excellent? Is it worthy of praise? Is this something you go, you know what? Hey, that's good. That's worthy of praise. Praise what? Not praise to the world. Is it worthy of praise from someone who's following Jesus? Hey, this is a good thing. I, I like what they're doing here. So if we keep that list, that keeps us from getting ourselves in places where our thoughts are taken where they shouldn't be taken. Right? I, rem I remember so vividly when I took my sons through the book, Every Man's Battle. And this is all dealing with sexual lust, and which we'll get into here in a minute. And I remember that the, the writer of the book, I can't remember his name, but the writer of the book said, learn to bounce your eyes. And we'll get into making covenants with our eyes. And, and I was like, and that really does work. So if you're rolling down the highway and some billboard says, look, there's a half-naked woman, you should buy our product. I don't know how we've ever tied those two things together, but apparently we do. And so if you're going down through there and you go half-naked woman, half-naked woman, you do this and bounce. And you just bounce your eyes almost. You just look the other way and keep going. Uh, some dads that I know, they'll tell their sons, here comes a lady. Everybody look at your shoes. She's decided not to put a lot of clothing on today. Everybody look at your shoes till she gets on by. Some pastors have gotten together and said what they do is they praise God for what a good job with creation. <laughs> well, God showed out with her, didn't he? And, uh, and so, so, you know, but, but the bottom line is you can't let your thoughts leave this list. And so try to memorize that list, Philippians 4a. Maybe make a note. Maybe keep it in your, your billfold or, or something, or as my friend Frenchie calls it, pocket money. That's what he, do you know that's what the, he was saying in English, his, what his billfold was, his wallet? I lost my pocket money. I looked for money everywhere. I didn't know he was looking for his wallet. So, uh, so pocket money. Christians are no longer to be conformed to the patterns of the world, but we are to be renewed in our minds. Write these down about, about what the Bible says about that. We are not to conform to the patterns of the world. We're to be renewed in our minds. Romans 12, write this down, 1 through 2. Ephesians 4, uh, 23. 
1 Peter 1.14. We did that one about being holy in all of our conduct. Did y'all get those down? Say it again. Romans 12, 1 and 2, Ephesians 4.23, 1 Peter 1, 14. So holiness begins in our minds, and then if our, if our minds are right, then that works out to the correct actions. You can't, you'll never get your actions right if you don't get your mind right. This being true, what we allow to enter our minds is critically important. Anybody ever live that out? My hand's up. And I love this, the, the, the arrogant, prideful, you know, well, I've said this before. I, I've known a lot of people that, that claim Christ, but they live their life like spiritual daredevils. Let me see how much I can get away with. You know, and you get to a point where you even searching Scripture, and I used to be this way, searching Scripture for what's allowed, but ignoring what's commanded. What, what does God allow? How, how far can I go? And I got news for you. If that's your mindset, you're missing it. See, because you're convinced that there's certain things that God needs to allow for you to be true to Him. If, if He's too difficult to be true to, yeah. But you're forgetting He's providing the power. He's renewing your mind. He's renewing your spirit. He's changing your desires. Too many people pray for God to give them their desires when really we pray to God to change our desires. Somebody say amen and bring that one back. So, so and, and, and if you can get that, that's crucial because I, I see it happen too many times because whatever, whatever we let our, wherever we let our minds go, and then some people, and y'all heard me use this example, but we got some new people. If you don't believe that we're affected by what we hear, see, and that we enter our minds, you have just told me that there's no way that I've made a living. Because right back here, and I'm looking at the studio for those who are just entering, let me tell you what happens right here and pays the bills. I say things into this about products that you hear and you go buy. If I didn't say in here about products and you didn't go buy them, I wouldn't have a job. So the reason that people go and buy them means that they hear something, and they're influenced by it. Remember the example I gave you about the Super Bowl? People pay $5 million for 30 seconds. Let that resonate. If you don't think your mind is the playground for the devil, 30 seconds of your attention, I'm willing to pay $5 million for it. Do you think they just take that money and throw it around? No, they do that because they know we are influenced by what we see and hear. So be careful what you see and hear. The world around us is constantly seeking to conform our minds to its sinful ways. Every day we get up and we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And we say, Lord, I'm under your authority. Remember last week, just wrapping your arms around Jesus. Lord, I'm headed out into the world. The world has not been redeemed by you yet, so it's still fallen. Also, when you came into my spirit and you justified my spirit, now my flesh decides it wants to wage war against me. So I know that if I, if I feed the spirit, it wins. If I feed my flesh, it wins. So protect me from what? My biggest enemy. Who's our biggest enemy? Ourselves. Because I've noticed that if I keep asking myself about anything in life, you know what myself keeps saying? Whatever you want to do, brother. Hey, man, do you think I need to work out more today? Nah, that's good. You're fine. What do you think about what I'm eating today? Eat whatever you want. What do you think about me doing Bible study today? You don't have time for that. Were you going to sit around and read? So I notice myself doesn't help me. Myself doesn't help me, so I can't listen to myself. You know what I got to listen to? I got to listen to Jesus. I got to listen to the Holy Spirit. This is what I pray every day. Conviction when I'm wrong. 
affirmation when I'm right. Keep correcting me and pushing me inside your will for my life, not my own. And guys, that's an everyday routine until Jesus comes to get us or you die and go see him. That, that, it's just too, it's, it's not a homecoming game out here. Everything out here is against us. Ain't nobody out here working with us. That's the reason why you got to surround yourself with people. How many times have you said to your child, I noticed you've started acting like these people you're hanging around with. And I know we all think that our child's going to be some great leader and everybody's going to act like them. They're not going to be influenced by these other people. It just don't work that way. They certainly can reach out to those that don't believe, but they better not live among those that don't believe. They better have in their inner circle people that are fighting with them, that are back to back. I got you back, you got mine. Let's look out. Let's protect each other. Severe accountability. Severe accountability and protection. We, we, we are in the world, but we can't be of the world because the world is against Jesus Christ. Too many Christians, instead of resisting, are more and more giving ground to the world's constant pressure. The church is giving in. There's certain topics that are sin that are difficult now. You know what the church says? Let's don't make trouble. Let's don't make trouble. Let's don't bring that trouble here. And, and that, <laughs> see, the church of Acts didn't say that. The, the, the church of Acts and on and Paul's instructions were this. You stand by Jesus and come what may. Now, now you certainly love people and you offer redemption and you, you point people to the cross. But when people start saying, who do you choose, the world or Jesus, you choose Jesus. And, 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 and Jesus' standard is never to be compromised to get along. See, remember what, what it says in the church of Acts. They were not at odds and they were at peace with everyone as far as they were concerned. You say, well, Rick, what does that mean? Well, hey man, the standard of marriage. We're followers of Jesus. The standard of marriage is, is a man and a woman. God established that in the book of Genesis and throughout all the scriptures, including Jesus, who kept referring to his father's standard and never changed. Well, I don't believe that. Well, that's okay. I don't mean you any harm, but this is the standard, and I want you to know that I'm not going to compromise Jesus' standard. Well, I hate you. Well, you hate Jesus. You don't really hate me. I'm not even worthy of you hating me. So I, I, I would still like to have a relationship. I'd still like to communicate. I, I won't have anything to do with you if that's the way you are. Well, well, you don't compromise God to say, well, the Bible says I'm supposed to get along with everybody's best. No, as far as you, we're concerned. Well, you don't ever compromise Jesus just to get along. And, every, and if the church starts that, it will cease then to be the church. Because we're supposed to be salt and light. And if we stop being salt and light, Jesus said, if you lose your saltiness, you might as well just be trodden into the ground. You're not really worth anything. We, we represent God's standard in humility, gently, but uncompromisingly. And, and see, that's, that's the part... That, that I think we're missing. So what do we do to be sure that the standard, that once again, here we're going, lower the standard. The one thing that you'll see in your life, if you find anybody that's committed to God's standard, uncompromising, maybe, maybe even do what Scripture says with the Bible to rebuke, exhort, to grow, to refine. You know what that's called? Old-fashioned. Oh, that's old-fashioned. I really believe that in a lot of the Western churches... If John the Baptist walked in and preached, everybody would want him fired. Don't bring him back. Wow. Radical. 
holier than thou, holy roller. That's old-fashioned. That's fire and brimstone. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent or perish. Oh, that was Jesus that said that. That don't sound like a hippie, does it? Huh? So, so I, we, we're, we're, we're making up a hippie version of Jesus, and we're even turning the, the early followers of Jesus into a bunch of hippies. It was not a commune. These are people devoted to Jesus Christ, and they were advancing his kingdom. See, G, listen to this. Jesus said that he will build his church on the gospel, on the truth. When Peter declared who he was correctly, he says, yes, and I will build my church on this and what? And the gates of hell will not stand against it. Now listen, let me give you a new mindset on that because the church plays defense all the time. That's, that, that, guess what defense is? A gate. A gate is defensive, not the church. That means hell's trying to get in there behind the gate. And Jesus says, I'll take my church and I will go through those gates. I'll go on offense and we'll pull people out of hell. It's not defense. It's offense. And I see a lot of people claiming to be followers of Jesus and all they ever do is play defense. They're reactive. Ooh. No, we're going forward. We're advancing the kingdom. We're salt. We're light. Light illuminates darkness. We're going to bust down the gates of hell. And you preach that too much, you won't get to preach much. And we call it legalistic. It's piratical. It's like Puritans. It's Puritans. I look, I've read some of the writings of the Puritans. They could get carried away, but a lot of what they were talking about was straight up biblical. It wasn't anything, I mean, the Bible calls us to purity. The Bible calls us to holiness. I don't know when we start demonizing holiness. Probably when Satan tricked us into doing it. Lower the standard. I, God just texted me today. We try, we're doing some work somewhere. I, don't, I want him to tell you where it is. You know, he said, I should have listened to you. I said, what do you mean? He's trying to start a, a sure enough men's ministry, try to follow some of the models of what we're doing. And we're going to take this thing national. Like I said, hey, you're going to put me in the ground, and I'm still going to be trying to say men's ministry is the most important ministry in the church. Who told you? The Bible. Who said that? The pastor, every Father's Day. Who else said it? Every single book's ever been written about it. Every single survey. And so he said, you told me if I started getting serious about men's ministry, I would meet much resistance. He texts me today, right before we started, he goes, everybody's pushing back. Nobody wants to get serious about this. And I said, which is a sign that it's the right thing to continue to do. The adversary is going to do everything that the adversary can do to stop it because it'll change that whole community. And if the church doesn't start believing what Satan has been already believing, we'll pay a price for it. You get the man, you change everything. You destroy the man, you destroy everything. And so Paul is giving a clear warning about a very high standard. And this is crazy convicting to me. And this is another area. I told you one of the areas I got to work on last week. And I'm working on it, okay? I promise you, you're not going to see me fall back into the old ways and let my physical health go away the way I have so many times and justified in the past. But here's another one. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 5, 3, and 4. Ephesians 5, 3, and 4, extremely high standard. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as proper among the saints. 
So, so, so do y'all see Paul holding back at all? Hey, these things I'm listing shouldn't even be mentioned among followers of Jesus. These things shouldn't even be, they shouldn't even be uttered among followers of Jesus. Ooh, high standard. Uh, and men always want to be tough. Man, give me, give me a challenge. I'll give you a challenge. Follow Jesus. There's a challenge. Follow Jesus. Hey, I can climb a mountain. Who cares? Follow Jesus. I can lift so much weight. Couldn't care less. Follow Jesus. Hey, man, I'm a hard worker. Work hard for the kingdom. Follow Jesus. If you really want to do something that's difficult, what did Jesus tell us about followers of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7? It's narrow, it's hard, and can't many people do it. Wide and easy is the road for destruction. And men will demonize why. Hey, everybody wants to get a trophy these days for doing nothing. Well, you expect a trophy for doing nothing for the kingdom. When did you become a spiritual participation trophy person? I mean, think about that. So anyway, y'all can see I'm getting stirred up. Let, and here comes the convicting part to me, and I'm looking to the kitchen in there where we go in there and hang out between breaks. <laughs> Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Hey, Rick, cut, out, cut, out, cut it out with the innuendos. Hey, you yucking up in their kitchen, got you a little funny you're talking about? Some of that stuff's not appropriate. You think it's funny, it's not funny to me. You claim to be a follower of Jesus, and now you're in here making some kind of crude joke. And I don't mean I go in there and say something nasty, but I'll, I'll do an innuendo or <laughs> you know, a little something about that, about something. And I used to think, well, that's funny. It's no big deal. It's just guys. What, what did the president try to tell everybody when they went back to when he was 60 years old and what he said? Oh, it's just locker room talk. That's just guys. And you know what some people said? Well, that makes sense. It's the way it was when I hung out. Well, see, the, that's fine if you don't claim to be a follower of Jesus. I guess that is like a, a, a lost man would act. But, but Paul says, if you're a follower of Jesus, I don't want there to be any filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. That's just out of order for somebody who says they're holy. That doesn't belong with a follower of Jesus. Now, are we willing today to say, holy roller, Paul, Puritan. Now, it's Scripture. Legalism. Scripture. See, this is the thing. We, we, we look at our life, I have as a buffet of spiritual walk. No crude talking, no filthy jokes. Uh, that's green beans, I don't want any of that. Alright, over here, here's something easy. Okay. Uh, don't, don't be drunk anymore. Oh, okay. That one I'll do. Uh, let's see. Be, be, be holy in all your conduct. Eh, that's kind of hard. I don't want any of that. Well see, we, there's, Jesus is not a buffet. Now, sanctification is a process. It's a process. It doesn't all happen at once. And, and, but, but Jesus said, anything that you refuse to move on, it's not because I can't move you. You don't want to be moved. If you say, Rick, if you really get serious and say that I'm better than any little crude little innuendo joke you do cut up in the kitchen, if you really believe that this area of your life is, is not where it should be and you want to fix it, you can't, but you tell me with a sincere heart, sincere heart, you want me to give you conviction on that, I will. And I'll take that desire away. You just haven't, you haven't told me that. You still love it. That's why you still do it. It's like we said, Jesus, I want to be sanctified, but only so much. It's not get carried away. Well, that don't say much about Jesus, does it? Jesus is just mediocre. I don't want to go to hell, but mm, start hassling me about my life here. 
Well, Jesus said, no, I, it's a, it's, this, it's, this is it. You know, we're, we're saying, I, well, I was strategizing yesterday. We're looking at men's ministry, how it's been done. You know, I, I had a coach say, I won't say who it was, and I talked with somebody yesterday. You know what the coach said? And this is a man of God. I'm done with it. I'm not doing any more speaking things. Really? How come? You know what he said? They want to be entertained. And I'm going and entertaining a bunch of men and taking a check and leaving. They don't want to hear me get after them. They want to hear stories from coaching. And then they want to leave. And I'm just done with it. And he, you know what he said? Nothing's getting changed. We're having a man, an event and men are coming, but they're just coming to hear a coach tell coaches stories. And then we try to do a Bible verse at the end and all that. He said, but nothing's changing, and I'm, I'm just put out with it because I don't see any change. I don't think it's doing any good. So he, he and I were talking. I said, so this is going to be our pitch. If you want to come to something we're doing for men's ministry, we're here not to entertain you, but to show you how we'll transform you. You're not going to be entertained. You'll be transformed. If you see my name on an event that I'm running, it, you won't be, you're not coming to be entertained. You're coming to be transformed. Not by me, not by a system, not by a strategy, by Jesus. But see, a lot of times people aren't transformed by Jesus because they've never really been introduced to him. It's some made-up version of Jesus. Either a hippie or, you know, this is the one, y'all know this one nauseates me because I used to do this. Big man upstairs. Big man upstairs! Yeah, there's a devout follower of Jesus. I mean, he's turned, he's turned the great I am into some cartoon grandfather. You know why? Some of y'all know this. You know why? Because if he's a cartoon, he's easier to sin against. I mean, I can sin against a folksy grandfather in a rocking chair more than I can the beginning. More than I can holy, 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 holy. What do we know about the holiness of God? Without Jesus, he'll kill us. He can't help it. His character will kill us. Remember when he said, Moses, you want to see me? Let me tell you how to stand, and I'll let some of my presence kind of brush by. But don't look at me, because if you do, I'll kill you. I'll let you, I'll let you experience me as much as you can. But see, Jesus says, well, now that I've come... I give you access to full righteousness and I'll escort you into the presence of the Father. But you better not go without Jesus. He'll kill you. So it's not somebody's granddaddy with some fancy things to say. Can we, if you're in this room, would you do me a favor? Can we eradicate, eradicate forever a big man upstairs? Can we just get rid of that? That's not reverent, that's not worshipful, and it's not holy. Okay? So, so Paul goes on. And he holds us to this very high standard. Well, the next thing you look at this very high standard is that, like we, Rick, and I've done it, ignore verses like I just read, but also the Bible says what? And Jesus says what? Watch your eyes. Watch them. Keep, keep, be very careful about what you see. Matthew 5, 28, write it down. What did Jesus say? Picture this. They're all sitting around. They're like, here comes this guy claiming he's God, and he's telling us about the law like we don't know it. And Jesus says, hey, now you've heard it said that my father said, thou shalt not commit adultery. That's right. Well, I say that if you commit adultery in your heart and you look upon a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery. What, what did he say? What did he say? Remember this. For some of us that have become grace abusers, 
If anything, this is important, I had to learn this. Jesus considered the Old Testament commandments to be the bottom, the floor. He never took the Old Testament and took it down. He took the Old Testament and took it up. Every time Jesus started building a following, he did not do what some of our seeker-friendly churches do and make the message more palatable. He made it harder. Why? He's not going to take a bunch of people into, with his kingdom that he can't trust. It would be like me saying, I'm going to put a, a team on the field that once they started finally getting in shape, I said, well, let's take the workouts and make them easier. And they fall out of shape. And so that way I've got more, I got a bigger team. More people want to play. We're just not very good. So, so, and that's the reason why I think this is where we're missing it on discipling men. You know what men really want to hear? This is hard. This is going to be, this is my new catchphrase with men's ministry. Most of us are not men enough to follow Jesus. Amen. Now who's in? You want to be man enough to follow him? But okay, then you got to be transformed by him. And, and, and what we do is go, following Jesus is nothing. It's so easy. None of us ever get better. You know, I keep on doing this, but Jesus is so gracious. That, that's not the gospel. That, I mean, that's not the, that's not the Bible. Now, now, now we certainly, you know, it's all been fulfilled, but the Bible doesn't say that we just stay the way we are. That Jesus, Jesus will meet you where you are, Rick. Yeah, but he don't leave you there. If Jesus met me where I am and nothing changed, I wouldn't be here right now. I'd probably be about six in somewhere sitting at the lake. You say, Rick, absolutely. Why? Jesus met me where I was. And he just left you there? Apparently. <laughs> but I'm saved. Do you realize that never... Not one time in my horrible, dark, twisted life, not one time did I say I wasn't a believer of Jesus. Not one time. You could have found me in the worst, most awful situation you could ever imagine, walking there and drug me off some floor. Rick, are you saved? Absolutely I am. Jesus loves me. Yeah, he does, but he don't approve of you, Rick. He don't approve of you. Oh, wow, sounds like my mama. Oh, I'll always love you. And Jesus does offer his love to everybody. But unless you've been redeemed by Jesus, he can't approve of you. That, that's, that's what we got to understand. Does he, are, are we under his approval? And, and, and you, somebody says, well, how do you know that, Rick? Well, Jesus said, if you love me, you obey my commands. John says, anyone who has ever known Jesus does what he says. John 14, the whole verse, it's the ones who do what I say that love me. Matthew chapter 7, a lot of people say my name, but only those who do the will of my Father, they're the real deal. The ones who don't are fake. So how do I know who's with Jesus? The way they live. Do you see evidence of it or not? Remember the guy that saved my life? You say you're saved to me. Yes, sir. you got to be out of your mind. Look at your life. It, bam, 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 bam. So Jesus has so little power... You can be this awful and still be on the authority of Christ. Well, see, I couldn't sell that. Then I came into conviction. Ah, that's a great point. Now, I didn't know much about Scripture, but even I knew that that didn't work. Job said, what about his eyes? Are y'all ready to make a covenant with your eyes? Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes that I would never look lustfully on a woman. Anybody want to make that one? Never. Why? It's legalism, Rick. No, it's devotion. 
to God is what it is. It's devotion to God. I'm devoted to God, and I'm devoted to how he said I should treat a woman. I'm devoted to my wife because I'm devoted to God. So he made a covenant with his eyes. You know what some guys and I have done? And remember, I've told some of you this. Now, look, it's possible that I may die of something else. So I don't want you all to think if I'm dead, it's because I committed adultery. But we have made a covenant, and we're ready to say it. Let's make a covenant. Some of the guys are in this room. If I'm ever unfaithful to my wife, that God kills me. Because I would rather be dead and her be at my funeral than to have been able to have done that act and her live in shame. If I'm unfaithful to Sherry, then kill me. I would rather her have me dead than to live in shame. And I would rather my witness not be destroyed. I'd rather be dead and everybody still think I was a hoss on the way out. I don't want to make you look bad and I don't want to make Sherry look bad. So just kill me. Now, when you make that kind of covenant, you talk about bouncing your eyes around. I, mean, I can't even, I'm like, I mean, I, I won't look anywhere. I'm just like, I don't even, I mean, but, but that's what Job did. He said, I make a covenant with my eyes. See, you're not ever going to have, you'll never see victory or, or, or over your sin. First of all, I remember we said, it's not victory and defeat. It's obedience or disobedience. I was disobedient to God. When you think about it like that, see, that's different. And until you start taking sin serious, you'll never, ever see it leave your life. Why? Because sin always matters. It always matters. So listen to this. David, talking about the eyes, what's the first move David does before he falls? He looks. So he was lazy. We've talked about that before. But really the first move to sin was what? He saw a woman bathing. Now, do y'all think that Bathsheba just started bathing like right there in front of him? Or do you think he had to go, I, I think I see some skin. There's somebody over bathing. Do you think he easily saw a woman bathing? Like they just bathed out in front of everybody. No, he had to get up on that palace. Now, he had a good view so he could look down on houses and he sees her bathing. So the first thing he did was look. Should have been to battle. Shouldn't have knocked it out of gear. But remember what I told you about what he said earlier? In Psalms 119, I have memorized your commandments and I have put them in my heart so I'll never sin against you. I went and looked at the history of that psalm. That was before Bathsheba. So see, you can't just declare it. You got to apply it. And what David did is he knocked it out of gear, stopped his sanctification, stopped his growth, and he didn't make a covenant with his eyes. And he went out there saying what? What was his attitude when he walked out there? I didn't do what I was supposed to do. I hadn't finished what I was supposed to do. And I'm going to walk out here. I'm going to let my eyes wander and just see what happens. Well, i tell you what happens. You commit adultery, you get somebody pregnant, and you kill your friend. That's what happens. And then the baby dies. So that was a big look. Right? That was a big look. If he'd have made a covenant with his eyes, none of those things would have happened. Paul lists the, the acts of the sinful nature both in the body and the spirit. Remember what he says, here's defilement of the body through all the letters in the New Testament. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, drunkenness, orgies. But you know what? You know, we hear that, we go, ooh, that's bad. But listen to these. You know what else he listed? The defilement of the spirit. Hatred. Discord. Jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition. We must purify ourselves not only from the gross sins of the body, but also from the more acceptable sins of the spirit. 
that, that's where I am right now. The sins of the body were so obvious and it needed so much work, and I'm still working them, but at least I've seen a lot of victory. But you know what God's saying now? We're going to get to the sins of the Spirit now. Self-reliance, selfish ambition, jealousy, envy, pride. See, we've got to focus on, 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 on our particular are particular areas that need improvement and it never don't ever let it become a list of do's and don'ts that does not work because you know why if I get into a list of do's and don'ts you know what never makes the list the inner stuff it, you don't put the inner stuff on these do's and don't list so so what we say well don't don't forget to do this and don't do that but what you will neglect is the stuff of the spirit. So do's and don'ts don't work. Envy, pride, bitterness, uh, critical spirit, unforgiving spirit. And, and, you know, you think about this. When you look at the story of the prodigal son, what do you see? You see everybody who messed up, but we forget about the older brother. He messed up too. He didn't commit the outward sins of his younger brother, but what was his inner sin? He wasn't happy about it. Hey, Dad, I've been here and done the, same, the things I was supposed to do. I've done everything I'm supposed to do. And now my brother's gone off and acting like an idiot. And we're killing the calf. We're getting out of robe. We're getting out rings. What about me? See, that was inner sin. But, but what did the dad say to him? Well, well, you did do the right thing. You're here with your father. Here's the one that was going to hell. And now he's back. You're not happy for him? See, that's that thing where almost, you ever had those people that when you turned your life around, they were almost disappointed? Oh, no, he's come home. Now I can't use him as an example to make myself look better. Now God's going to change him, and now everybody's going to talk about us changing. I liked it better when we all were just as equally sinful, and now somebody's repented, and he's going to mess this thing up for all of us. So, so the cure... For the sin of envy and jealousy is to find our contentment in God. Write that down. Asaph in Psalm 73, he was envious of how the wicked prosper. Remember, he's complaining to God. How can the wicked prosper? Only when he was enabled to say to God, earth has nothing I desire besides you. That's when he was delivered of the sin of envy. There's nothing here for me. What have I got to envy in the world? Ain't nothing here better than God. So what would I envy? Bitterness is another one. Bitterness toward people, the result of an unforgiving spirit. Joseph in, 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 in Genesis 50, 20, if anybody had a chance to be bitter toward his brothers, it was Joseph. He said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. And that is what? The saving of many people. Hey, guys, y'all were bad to me. Got it. But you know what? I see that God allowed that to happen so I could be here saving lives today. Everything's good. Is that me? Brothers tried to kill me, sold me off in slavery. Oh, y'all need grain? Guess who's the captain of grain? That's me. Y'all going to come out? See, I, see that's, that's not it. And you say, Rick, well, I couldn't do that. I know because it's supernatural. God could. We can't, but God could. Spirit of retaliation. Woo. Oh, Burgesses have to work on that. Burgesses retaliate. <laughs> Paul wrote, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge. I'll repay those who do evil against you. We saw that with Jesus, didn't we? Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Stephen, as he's getting stoned to death, Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Forgive them. Lord, don't hold this against them.
That's supernatural stuff right there. Critical spirit. A critical spirit has been, is, is rooted in pride. You know why? Because it, where, where Jesus says, if you're going to judge correctly, you got to get, get the plank out of your own eye. If you're ever going to see the speck in your brother or sister's eyes. And when we have a critical spirit, we're so critical of other people, we're never critical of ourselves. We got to look to ourselves first. If you have your Bible, we'll close with this. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. This will be the last thing we'll do and I'll let you go. If anybody needs to go back to work quicker, I'm almost done. Proverbs 6, and I appreciate your effort being here today. Look at 6. You know why this jumped out at me? How many of you think we need to look at something the Bible says, six things that God hates? I would think six things that God hates is big. Um, so let's look at, uh, let's, we don't want to be there. I have spread um, my, my um, am I on the right one? Six, I'm in seven. All right, six, 16 through 19. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness, people who claim to be of God, but they're not, who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among brothers. So God hates people who are haughty, and prideful. He hates people who lie. He hates people who take revenge. He hates people who devise wicked plans. He hates people who run toward evil, not to righteousness and purity. He hates people that claim to be with him, but they breathe out lies because the life they live and the way they are inside is a lie. And he hates people that's always stirring up trouble. Don't be those things because the Bible just said God hates those things. I don't want to be involved in anything God hates. Anybody agree with that? Amen. So as we, as we close in prayer, I know we covered a lot today, but again, a very convicting message. Let's ask ourselves the question, how do we match up? Last week, the things uh, of, of our physical body. Today, we asked even a tougher question, how are the things in our spirit? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this difficult, challenging, but, in, but also refining message. I pray, Lord, that you be glorified by the way we live, not embarrassed. Lord, I pray you just, you, you weight us down with the conviction when we're wrong and the affirmation and peace, Lord, that we were right. Continue, Lord, to draw us to you and refine us into the people that only you can make us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. I'll see you next week.